Hey, thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from our guest speaker. This is Rusty Fuller, one of my favorite people, really, on the planet. Him and his wife and his family. They're heroes. They're just amazing. They serve behind the scenes in the worship community here, and uh, they're just a big part of Life Center and our heart and our DNA for worship. And uh, so instead of like a normal, traditional youth sermon tonight, we're just going to do an interview and hopefully some of the stuff that Rusty shares influences and impacts your heart. And um, so can we give it up for Rusty again? Come on. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We also have some of the horse clan here. We have Lindsay, Mark, Tiffany, and Valerie. Can we give it up for them? They're amazing. Big part of the worship community here. And uh, how many of you love the worship of Life Center? Come on. I've been all over the world, and it's not just because I'm partial. Really, it's like there's no place like this, the freedom that we have and uh, what God's doing here. So anyway, so this is Rusty, and I'm going to ask you nine questions. So hopefully you encounter Jesus and get changed by the Holy Spirit in nine questions. All right? Cool. Is everybody doing all right? Come on, don't be quiet on me. Rusty Fuller, when and where were you born and where did you grow up? You can go as long as you want on these questions. Sweet. Okay. Well, I'm from Georgia originally and, uh, you know, the dirty south. Um, But I did grow up in the Atlanta area. for the most part of my life, so my southern drawl is not too bad, but mm-hmm. uh, I can I can co- I can come and go in it as much as I want. So uh, <laughs> sometimes you got to fight it. Sometimes when I go down south, it comes out a little bit. But uh, <laughs> my wife has that too. Yeah, it's just weird. play in the mud, and, you know, <laughs> chew chew on hay and have a good time. Yep, um, yep. So when were you born? I was born in 1980. Uh, July 15th, 1980, and my social security number is not, um, but, uh, (laughs) but I was born in Griffin, Georgia, which is kind of like a small little town, um, with the highest crime rate in all of Georgia. Um, I didn't contribute to that, luckily. Um, but, um, so that's where I was born, and I grew up in a really small town called, uh, Jackson, Georgia, in the town of Butts. Uh, or in the county of Butts, B-U-T-T-S, just like it sounds. And, uh, For real? Yeah, that's Butts <laughs> County. <laughs> that's the dirty south. That is the sure. dirty south. <laughs> <laughs> All counties in Georgia are derogatory names like that. <laughs> no, but um, we ended up, uh, my parents got divorced when I was seven, which was uh, really hard on me. I was like a straight-A student until that year um, because then it just seemed like my parents like took a large disinterest in me existing. Um, so I ended up living with my mom for a large portion of my childhood, actually up until I was 14. And uh, we moved to like a new, so it seemed like a new apartment like every three months. Like we were really super poor. And, uh, you know, my mom just could not hold down a job. So that's where I'm from. Wow. How about that. There you go, man. Um, from butts. Butts County. Cool. <laughs> well, you broke into the next question a little bit. Sorry. Tell us a little bit about your background, family life, and uh, did you grow up going to church? Um, occasionally, um, about the church part. Um, 
it was very very rare and when we did it would be it was like a traditional like southern baptist which i don't know why we went because and my dad my dad actually went to catholic school like his whole life so i had that influence a little bit although my dad hated being catholic because i guess it was a bad experience for him so um he didn't really you know bring that to the table a whole lot um so but my mom was you know tried to i guess tried to be christian she struggled a lot with trying to do that so um we would go but then we would also at the same time like the whole time we were there we would my mom would just kind of talk about everyone which gave me a really confusing picture of like what christianity was that's all i that was all i knew so it was mostly just us um like coming away from it and uh my mom would be like, you know, look at how everyone's looking at. She would just assume that we were being judged heavily, which maybe we were, maybe we weren't, I don't know. Um, we didn't ever stick around at one particular church long enough to find out. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, so that was like my, that was kind of like my first like touch with Christianity. And it really gave me, um, I guess my mom put the sour taste in my mouth, so to speak, um, early on. So very critical, very critical spirit. And, I mean, she still kind of is to this day, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, keep my mom in your prayers. I pray for her a lot. Um, so, yeah, that's my, my, like I said, I started going into my family life a little bit. Um, my my mom and dad were each other's second marriage. And, you know, they got married. See, my mom was, mom was 30 when she had me. So, um you know, they got married. I mean, they, to be married and divorced and remarried by the before you're even 30 years old is pretty crazy to me. It's a lot. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, so they got divorced when I was seven, and it, it kind of wrecked my life a little bit. And um, and also at seven, this is a very personal thing about me, but also at seven, a 14 year old neighbor exposed me to pornography um, like heavily, and so. I've struggled with pornography like my whole life because of that moment. Um, You know, I didn't ask for it. I didn't even know what it was I was looking at, but it like, you know, it's a very demonic thing. So it it like, it basically has been the thorn in my side, like my whole life more than anything else. And I didn't even know what it was, you know? So I don't know if anyone struggles with that, but that's been a huge thing for me. And that's part of, unfortunately it is a big part of my background and my upbringing. And, you know, it was never taught, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, it was never taught that that was wrong. It was never taught that, you know, sex before marriage was wrong. I had no, like, rules. I was, like, 12 years old. I'm listening to, like, Snoop Dogg's Chronic record. And, uh, you know, it's like, but what do I, I'm 12. What do I know about, you know, that kind of stuff? But I'm singing it. I knew all the words. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. On a lighter note, I just came up with this question. Explain what mudding is to everybody. <laughs> I remember we had a conversation And I did experience this uh, first Give you another peek into his life. Okay, so both my parents are kind of, uh, you know, southern hell raisers would be a good way to put it. Um, I don't know of any other word to describe it other than, like, if anyone's ever listened to any Hank Williams or – awesome. Um, or Hank Williams Jr., for that matter. It's like pretty much a lot of those lyrics I feel are written about my upbringing – because it's, it's like all my rowdy friends are coming over tonight. We got a pig in the ground. We got the beer on ice. 
You know what I mean? Like that's how I grew up. That so was like, like a Monday. Yeah, that was on a Monday. That was <laughs> yeah. Both my and both my parents are like were, well, my, my dad not so much anymore. But at, all through my childhood, my parents were like both alcoholics. So beer wow. was like, you know, we couldn't afford you know juice, but we always had a case of beer in the fridge. Yeah. Uh, you know that kind of thing. So, but anyway, so mudding would be. <laughs> You know, all the dads or guys that have their four-by-fours, like their huge trucks, meet down at the mud and hole, which is like this huge pit that's, I don't know how deep, and you just take turns driving through it. See if you can make it from one end to the other. <laughs> that's awesome. And, um, when was your first mudding experience, be honest? Oh, man, probably I was like, probably uh, like five, wow. four or five years old. Because my, my dad had this huge, like, Dodge Ram Charger, like a, um, I mean, it was, I remember it was, like, you know, 1970s orange, which is, like, everything in the 70s was brown, orange, tan, and, uh, you know, puke green. So, um, you know, so he had that, but he had, like, I mean, my dad was like, let's go pull down trees with my truck. <laughs> I'm like, are we going to chop them up and make firewood? No, we're just going to pull, we're just going to destroy the forest. And that's called, that's manlyhood, you know, so. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I remember you telling me a story. You got, you get, you would regularly get woken up out of bed at like one in the morning and say, come on, boy, we're going mudding. And the whole neighborhood come out. It, it was either that or it was fishing. Oh, I was, cool. uh, woke up a lot. My grandfather had a pond, so with with you know, large mouth bass, I was exposed to. And then a lot, a large portion, we grew up at a deer camp. So like my dad had a deer camp that he ran, mm-hmm. and we grew up down there a lot. You know, everybody had their own like special style of like deer camp trailer that they would bring down. Like one guy's turned a school bus into a into a you know hunting season place to live. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, so you guys drive it? Like, no, this is permanent. It's on blocks, and uh, it's an old school bus. So come on in. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> cool, cool. I just want to give everybody a little taste. Um, all right, third question, more serious. What series of events led you to giving your life to Christ? I'd say the, Lord, the biggest thing that the Lord used to get to me, which, I mean, he can do whatever he wants, but he, he came to me uh, through music. And uh, so, like, um, in high school, I started playing, and actually, even in junior high, I started like kind of dabbling and being in a band um, in middle school. And then I moved at 14. My mom called my dad and was like, "You got to come pick him up. I can't support him anymore." So I moved from more like a rural area in the Griffin area where I was born to inner city Atlanta. So my dad lives closer to the city. So that was like a super shock to me, even though we occasionally went downtown. It was always like, we're going to the big city. <laughs> so um, it was, but moving. Ain't got no trees yeah, there. They, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's crazy. Like there's Atlanta and then there's the rest of Georgia. And yeah. it's completely different. Yeah. Um, unless you go to like Savannah. Like Savannah has a college. So mm-hmm. they get some kind of culture there. Um, but <laughs> as your brother knows, yeah. uh, Savannah's beautiful. But anyways, yeah. so. Um, so I moved in with my dad and started like really playing music and, you know, saved up, like got my first drum set and, uh, you know, I started hanging out with these, you know, the, like basically the first kids I met on the school bus when I switched schools. 
to switch like really late in the year, like a week before spring break of my freshman year. So I'm like, I got to find friends fast before the school year ends. So I, f- I hook up with these guys, and they're all like, you know, like huge druggies. And, but they're playing like, you know, they're into like smashing pumpkins and like that 90s like alternative rock like scene and everything. So I kind of got into that. And um, I started playing drums with them a little bit and then ended up getting more, like shifting more to like pu- the punk rock era and, and like getting into more punk rock. And then I got a whole new set of friends when that happened. So, um, yeah, so like I, um, I ended up, um, I totally blanked out there for a second. But uh, <laughs> like I totally ended up like switching over to punk rock and finding these, these, this, these two kids who I had no clue like who they were. I never met them before in school. And I already had like kind of like my best friend. And we were both, we both considered ourselves like strict, like atheists. Like, it wanted nothing to do with Christianity wow. or any of that at all. So, um, ended up meeting up with these two guys. They said, hey, let's start a band together. We need a bass player and we need a drummer. And, like, that was me and my best friend. So, we started playing with them. And then over time, they started to, um, I didn't know the Lord was, like, softening my heart the whole time. But he um, he was. And um, it was Jorge and Chad started, like like, basically kind of ministering to me. The Lord used them to invite me to a church camp down in Daytona Beach, like a like a beach retreat thing, and um, it was through that that I went down there and like completely gave um, my life to the Lord. There, I was like 17 years old, um, completely unaware of what I was going to have to deal with when I got back from the church camp because everything is hunky dory when you're at the camp away for you know a week or whatever, and you get back and all your atheist friends are like, "What did you do?" I can't believe you believe in Jesus. You know, and it's just like, you're like, do I? <laughs> you start questioning yourself and like, you know, it, it, but that was, that, that was my journey to that point. Awesome, awesome. Um, how did you end up meeting Mia? Can we just give it up for Mia? She's like this. My wonderful wife. wife amazing. Beautiful. Mother of three beautiful children. Other than Jesus, the best thing that's ever happened to me. And they don't know nothing about mud and which is a good thing, she right? She doesn't. That's the, this is the, you know, like our life is a civil war. It's the north versus the south. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I will rise again. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you meet Mia? So, all right. So I, I came to music and kept playing music. And um, that was also kind of what led me to my wife. The very first time we met, I'd actually moved, um, as soon as I graduated high school, well, I moved out of my parents' house when I was 17. So basically right after I got saved, I was like, later. And I left because I was very rebellious. I had a, quite a re- rebellious spirit about me. And I still kind of do to this day, and I try to curb it as much as possible, um, you know, when the time is right. But uh, so, um, yeah, I ended up moving to... Actually, I met a band when I went to that church camp, and they saw me playing drums. Um, actually, I went back the next year to actually play on the on like the youth team, on the youth group uh, worship team, and they saw me, and they were like, they're like, you should move to Florida and like drum with us. And it was, you know, I'd never heard of this band. It was a band called Jeremiah's Grotto. They were signed on a label. I had you know, no clue what I was getting into at the time, but I said, yeah, I'll move to Florida. Why not? You know, so ended up moving to Florida, joined this band, and we went on, like, our first tour, which was, like, this two-month tour 
Some nights, some nights we were sleeping on park benches. It's a long tour for all of y'all. Two months, is, especially for your very first tour, when you've never like been out on the road with no support or any connection to hardly anyone. It's, I mean, it's it's a desert. You're in a desert, and uh, so we're out there, you know. And like some nights we're making just enough money to maybe get a place to sleep. Some nights we're actually on park benches. So it was a it was a it was a wake up call. But anyway, I get to Lebanon, PA. Stop on the tour. That's right. Cafe Baraka. This little coffee shop in Lebanon called Cafe Baraka. And I'm 19 at this point. And Mia is 15. And she's there at this club. All right. She's 15 going on. I did not. 19, you know. At this point. We're not preaching that tonight. So. You know, try to keep it legal. Try yeah. to keep it legal if you can. Uh, no. <laughs> no, so um, I met I met her that night, like just shook her hand. I was like, hi, you know, that, and that was it. Flash forward four years later, we're, I'm, a, I'm in a band called Copeland playing drums. If anybody's ever heard of that band. Um, I mean, we were, we were kind of a big deal. But, uh, um, but... <laughs> No, so I'm playing at Cornerstone Music Festival in Illinois, and uh, she just happens to be there. Um, yeah, and but she didn't see <laughs> she didn't see my band play because at that time she actually hated my band. She was really, really into uh, hardcore and metal, so we were the wussy band that she did not care for. Like she thought we had a girl lead singer, which we didn't, and. Uh, <laughs> So, I actually I actually pulled a pickup line to get her to come over and talk to me, um, which is not like me, it? not like me at all. Okay, so if anyone's been, no, that's not me, dude. Come on, man. You just we were starting to no, become that's, friends. That's like the I new feel, lame couplet. I feel I feel like we were connecting a little bit, and now you've just ruined it. <laughs> If anybody doesn't know, he just thought I was the drummer after me, John, who's completely bald and about 150 pounds heavier than me. To as good looking as you. He's not near as good looking. I mean, this beard I have, it's, um, no, but anyway, so so it was my shift to work the merch table at the fest. And if anyone's ever been to Cornerstone Music Festival, it is you know, it's in July in a cornfield in Illinois, and it's like 100 degrees outside and 120 degrees inside the tent. All right, so you're probably trying to find another a picture of me. Oh, okay. It, it, that was just me being arrogant. But no, um, I assume you're looking for other pictures of me. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> I see this girl... Um, if any, does anyone ever remember the band Evan Anthem? They were from York. Yep. Okay. So good friends with them. Um, their merch table is probably like ten merch tables down from me, and I see this girl hanging out at their table. I'm like, wow, man, she's cute. I like, I like her. She caught my eye. And Toby Mac's table was set up right next to theirs, and he was making these like, he's making these like fans to like, fan, you know, it's hot. Give away free fans, free publicity. Why not? So he's giving these, she grabs a fan and she comes walking back by. And I'm like, this is totally not like me at all. I was like, I was like, I was like, hey girl, come fan me. 
I got news for you. The best part of that story is that it, it worked. It worked. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Not at first, because she came over to correct me on how you don't talk to girls. Ah, there you go. Reverse psychology. There you go. <laughs> Hashtag fan me. I'm, but I'm down with that. I was a drummer for Copeland, so I can get away with anything. <laughs> yeah. No, so, um, so yeah, well, she, she came to correct me and then realized that she knew me even though she looked completely different four years later than what she recognized me. She's like, is your name? She's like, I know a guy that looks just like you. His name's Rusty. And because I'm an idiot, I was like, my name's Rusty. (laughs) (laughs) And then then we had... (laughs) Wow, man, that's crazy. Redheaded guy named Rusty. (laughs) So (laughs) we ended up like... I was, you know, and give me a couple minutes. I figured it out that it was me. <laughs> and then we ended up kind of reconnecting. And then I thought I got played majorly. Cause she was like, she was like, let me get your number and I'll give you my number. And I was like, sweet. Let me exchange numbers. And this is before the days of cell phones. So we're giving out like our home number. Yeah. All right. There was no cell phones on the road at this point. Like, we got calling cards. Uh, like, if you're on tour, you get a stack of calling cards, and that's what gets you through the tour. If you have a girlfriend or a significant or your family yeah. or whatever. That so just it, went over, like, everybody's head in this room. If anyone doesn't know what a calling card is, it's how Spanish people call Mexico <laughs> is to talk to their families. Okay. All right. Sorry. Anyways. Because <laughs> all Spanish people only call Mexico. Um. But so, anyways, so she walks away like we, we, you know, we're like nice to, you know, great to meet or whatever. Yeah. She walks away and there's no number there. Gotcha. I was like, dude, I just got mm-hmm. played. So that's how we met. Um, <laughs> and here we are. You got to finish this. But no, I mean, we just we hung around. The, like we we didn't meet, but what's that? I always do, and that's why I let you tell this story most of the time. Because you're, very, you're a woman, and you're very detail-oriented, and I'm just like, I'm a skimmer. I'm just like, we met, and now we have three kids. And there is a marriage in between there, so it's yeah. legal. They yeah, saved it. <laughs> cool. So somehow you got in contact. We did. We, well, we ended, up, we ended up meeting up the next day. And I was like, oh, okay, wait. Cool. I was like, so did you really like me? Or were you, you know, and she's like, no, I, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to, like, walk away and not leave my number. Yeah. She was like, I was just so excited. Because uh, she was, she did have, like, a prophetic. For some reason, she showed up at the, at the festival and she told her friend, she's like, I just feel like uh, I'm going to see Rusty. And her friend's like, Who? She's like the drummer from yeah, like crazy. Jeremiah's Grotto, which is the band I originally met her in. They're like, you haven't seen him for four years. Why would you even think about him? And then within like once we met, like, and this would scare most guys off, but within like the first couple hours, she was like, I'm going to marry you. Nice. And I was like, okay. Wow. That sounds delicious. Um, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, for those of you, who, how many of you have ever heard of Copeland? Just raise your hands. Oh, awesome. Cool. Sweet. How many of you have heard of the band Copeland? 
So when I was in youth group, I was like obsessed with this band. It's so crazy that now we're really good friends, especially the first record that you were on. Uh, they were like an amazing indie band. They they were kind of like a game changer band. It was like mellow, but it was like really intricate, really amazing music. And they were kind of like a phenomenon for a while. And then Rusty was also in this other band called The Beautiful Mistake. Have any of you guys ever heard of The Beautiful Mistake? So you had to be kind of deep in the scene back then to know The Beautiful Mistake. It was kind of like a crazy hardcore emo band, right? It was really, really good. So that's a yes. big deal. Rusty was in like two huge bands. So I just wanted to hit that real quick because we're running out of time. Um, what made you want to, we already talked about that, sorry. How did you end up being in Copeland and The Beautiful Mistake? Okay, so Copeland was, like, after I quit Jeremiah's Grotto, I remained living in Gainesville, Florida, okay. where UF is, and um, ended up playing with this band from Lakeland, Florida, called Ev Angel, which is Copeland before it was Copeland. Gotcha. And, um, and becoming friends with them, and they never really had a uh, never really had a permanent drummer. They just had like five floating drummers, and um, when they decided that they wanted to like be serious, I was actually singing and playing guitar in a band at that time in Gainesville, and uh, I didn't own a drum set. I hadn't played drums in like three years because I was just like, I'm done playing drums. I just want to like you know, do my own thing. But anyways, so this guy who was I was friends with, Dan Gray, like Copeland's drummer that they had lined up for their very first out-of-state Florida show. Copeland had never played out of, the, out of the state of Florida before. He went missing, and no one knew where Joel was because he, he had a closet drug problem. So he would just, like, go on, like, a three-day bender and, like, then stop calling everyone. So they... Dan, like, called me and was like, hey, uh, would you be willing to maybe play drums if we could get you, uh, get you, like, a drum set and some cymbals together? And I was like, yeah, how long do I got before the show to, like, learn the songs? He's like, it's day after tomorrow. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'll do it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so they, like, pulled together a drum set and, um, you know, we went to Johnson City, Tennessee, drove up Johnson City, Tennessee. We practiced for, like, a day and a half. I learned all the songs and played the show like yeah. flawlessly. So it was, well, I say flawlessly. Wow. Um, it was pretty good. but wow. That's amazing. That's awesome. Also, for those of you who don't know, like that album <clears throat> that Rusty recorded on, because you did end up recording on their record. Yeah, I'm on right? Beneath Medicine Tree, yeah. yeah. And Just the uh, covers, so covers EP. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, that album is known, the, the first one we mentioned is known for its, intricacies on the drums it's like amazing i i was just actually in california hanging out with some of the bethel guys one of the main drummers at the church is like who's your drummer i'm like oh rusty plays with us and his wife's there they're a big part of our community he's like that's amazing i learned how to play drums to that record it was like amazing it was just like and so many guys it's it's that's that's their story as and well I'm, and i'm back charging him by the way yeah i mean he all those lessons i didn't, I didn't get paid that. for <laughs> um so what was it like being in those bands and did you ever feel, I'm kind of like planning this question because we've, we've talked before. Did you ever feel like there was something more that was missing? What made you kind of walk away and give it all up? Um, I'd say most of the time, like, well, okay, so being in Copeland was amazing. It was kind of surreal because it all kind of happened, I mean, really fast. Like, so when I, when I became the permanent drummer after, you know, um, I called Aaron and was like, listen, I know you have, like, all these, like, floating drummers. I said, but, like, 
I love Copeland. I want to I want to play like full time. And he was like, awesome, let's do it. You're in. So that was basically a phone cool. call. Um, yeah. So being in Copeland was amazing to start out with because it really, you know, we got signed and then we got a booking agent. And we got a manager like boom, 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 like really fast. And those are kind of like when you're in a band in a in a, in a large band. Those are, that's like your trifecta that surrounds you that kind of makes a band work. Those are all the moving parts. Yeah. And you guys blew up. I mean, it was before YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, everything. And you guys blew up. Yeah. Really it was fast. just back then, man. It was just word of mouth. There was yeah. no like. I mean, maybe we had MySpace. Who's ever heard of that? <laughs> um, and we had these shiny round things called CDs. We did. And they sold for ten dollars. Yeah, um, but yeah, so um, yeah, it all just happened so fast. Like once we got on, we went on a tour with a band from uh, California called Watashiwa. And after Watashiwa, um, we got on with like Juliana Theory, and then it just wow. kept like going up from there. Um, like the tours just kept coming. So like that very first year after Beneath Medicine Tree, we were maybe home a month the whole year. Wow, like like split up. So, like, we'd be gone for two months, come home for a week, be gone for two, you were know. Were you and me and married at this time? No. Okay. No, we were not. Gotcha. So, that was how it worked because <laughs> none of us were. We were all single. Mm-hmm. We all lived in an apartment together. The band paid for our rent. The band paid for all of our expenses. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was awesome at that, you know. It was cool. Worked out perfectly. Um, but what was the second part of that question? Did you ever feel like there was something more, something missing? Um, I feel like we were, spirit we, were, were hungry for. we were all on the same page, I think, spiritually at the beginning. And mm-hmm. then by the time by the, the, the band was getting so big and we ended up – because I ended up leaving the band um, on – we were on a, on a full national tour with Switchfoot at that point. Um, so – and it was where Switchfoot was at their biggest. I mean like they had – Beautiful you know, Letdown. Yeah, Beautiful Letdown record. Like they move, they flew to like play TRL in like the middle life. of the you know TRL and MTV like the middle of the tour. Yeah, they had just gone platinum for the first time, and uh, so I mean, we which were, means a hundred thousand records sold. Just that people know hundred thousand. I mean a million. Million. It's a yeah, million. Sorry, million. I'm like, <laughs> then I've gone sorry. platinum. <laughs> no one does it anymore. So no, but um, yeah. So we ended up. Um, that really kind of highlighted how spiritually bankrupt Copeland was when we were on tour with Switchfoot because those guys were amazing. Mm-hmm. And they, they, you know, they invited us to like Bible studies like every other night on their tour bus. And they're, you know, it was just eye opening. They were all married. They were all, some of them had kids and they were all making it work like being on the road, like full time. So I was like, man, like it, it just as an example, when I decided to, I, I left the band playing the electric factory in philly that was like my last you show you guys have been electric factory it's amazing huge a huge awesome venue. venue um uh, you know i left the, i left the band that night because it was a lot of drama going on um not my fault <laughs> um but um yeah so when just an example like none of my when i decided to leave that night none of my band came and prayed with me like at all um but switchfoot all came, all laid hands on me, like surrounded me, and just like, like Rusty, we send you off, like whatever it is you're gonna do next, like we we want to bless you in that, and that was just like it meant the world to me. Wow, that's awesome. Wow. And then how did you uh, end up here at Life Center? That would be because I met Mia at that cool. point. Yeah. Um, so when I ended up leaving, uh, Mia was we were kind of like 
dating as much as a person who's on the road all the time can date. Um, but because it was in Philly, like she was obviously at the show, and unfortunately, it was her parents' first time coming to see me play, <laughs> and they bought like one of everything. And I'm like, I quit the band last night, <laughs> so I felt bad about that. Um, like uh, no return policy, uh, but. <laughs> So I ended up, because it was in Philly, I yeah. ended up, I still had all my stuff at our apartment in Atlanta and um, ended up kind of moving into this area, eventually getting all my stuff back up here. And then I've been here for almost 12 years now. Wow. So. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. And then you kind of met Nathan through the studio and Mark and and Lindsay and the Horace family and all that stuff. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. It was series of circumstances with, um, you know, being in, I started playing in, in a local Christian band in York called Oceans in Love. Um, and then we ended up recording a record with Nathan. Mm-hmm. Although Nathan's band, um, Farewell, brother. F- Farewell Flight. Oh, yeah. When Nathan, Nathan was in Farewell Flight. They opened for The Beautiful Mistake mm-hmm. here. And then when Nathan was in college in Tennessee, his band opened for Copeland back then. So, Wow. Crazy small little world. But I ended up full circle back here, recording with Nathan, meeting him, falling in love with him. Um, you know, he's an amazing guy. <laughs> he's pretty dreamy. He is. He's a dreamy dude. So, Yeah. Cool. 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 Awesome, man. All right. So what has been God teaching you lately? What are some of the things that he's been revealing to you and placing on your heart in this season that you're in now? Uh, no, you just got baptized. I did just get baptized. Amazing. Um, it's awesome. Thank you. That was, that amazing. was amazing. I was there. Um, My dad uh, watched us to get baptized, and his comment was, that was like biblical. <laughs> <laughs> like, cool. that's, that's how we want baptism. Like, that was like, it's like I was baptizing Peter. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty awesome comment. Oh, well, I received that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Show. Yeah, so the the Lord right now is this. Well, our whole our my whole family, we're in this. I mean, we feel like we're just on the verge of this breakthrough. Um, be it, you know, spiritually, financially, um, which it's all tied together, of course. But you know, we, you know, right now he's just he's 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 tearing things down in me. Like, I mean, after so many years, like I finally. Like, and I mean, I, dude, I stand on this like so firm. And I told you guys earlier that I struggled with like pornography my whole life. I am completely 100% delivered from that. And that is like, I thought, I thought I would never, ever be able to get away from it. You know what I mean? It was like, it would, there would be, I mean, these long stretches where I'd be like nothing. And then all of a sudden, dude, the devil would just come and like wreck my whole world. So, um, I, I love that that has been defeated like absolute i mean and it was from day one it just i needed to get in line with that um and so right now with like our family like we're moving into a new season like financially like you know like just completely getting like out of debt like 100 percent. and then you know he's showing me how to um i mean he's changing a bunch of things so like i can depend more on him like making room for him to be miraculous in my life um, and in our lives um, because we neither one of us come from Christian backgrounds. So this is like our kids are like the new lineage of 
our entire family be- belonging to and being of and con- and being possessed by Christ. Um, yeah, thank you. So that's where we're at, and we're, and we're standing on that realization. And then, I, you know, I'm re- the Lord's showing me really what, like I was listening to one of Bill Johnson's sermons on worship this week, and he said something that, like, really, like, convicted me. And it had to do with his son, Eric, and how when Eric was born, they had, you know, he had problems, and he still has a speech impediment because of his hearing issues and stuff. But it was something that they prayed for healing. And so, like, Bill was, like, talking, hey, let's just praise God and, like, worship God. But immediately felt convicted. And I never even thought of this before. But, like, immediately felt convicted because he was only praising God to receive the healing. It was like he was making a deposit to get the withdrawal. When the Lord is worthy to be praised, whether you're going to receive anything or not. And he felt immediately convicted and immediately dirty. So, like, he asked for forgiveness and said, Lord, I will praise you no matter what happens. And that's where I'm at. Like, sometimes I find myself like, oh, I'm tithing, so I'm going to get tenfold back. You know, like, I don't want to ever be in that place. I don't want to ever be in that in that in that spot where, like, I'm only tithing to receive. I want to tithe whether I'm, you know, dirt poor or whether I'm, you know, affluent. So... And I want my worship to be the same way. And that's like, because I feel like it's the basis. That's like the big, we begin there and everything goes from from the worship out. And we never stop worshiping no matter what we're doing. So that's, that's, that's the awesome. biggest thing right now for me. Yeah. Like a lot of the stuff that you're saying, Dylan and I were talking about two months ago when we were coming up, Dylan came up with this theme, like follow God no matter what. And immediately thought, we both thought like, oh man, we got to have Rusty just come and share like his life, his testimony, because even in our friendship in the last, I would say for the last year, I've just watched you just kind of like in the, just throw a stake in the ground, just give up everything you have, give everything you own. And you and me are like, we're throwing a stake in the ground. We're following God with our whole heart, no matter what, we're going to be obedient and everything. And, and, um, and you would never share this, but I will. Um, uh, Uh like right before Christmas, Rusty called me and, you know, being a drummer, like one of the things that, you know, you save up your whole life for and you value like above so many other things is your like dream drum set. And Rusty has this like incredible drum set. It's amazing. It's like one of the best things, one of the best drum sets we ever, I've ever used before. I actually used it on my record. We brought it all the way down to Nashville and the guys from Jesus Culture who are producing my album were like, this is the best drum tones we've ever heard. It's like really amazing. And it's like your prized possession. You've sewn thousands of dollars into it. And he called me right before Christmas. He's like, you know what, man? I just, I got to tell you something. I'm like, what? He's like, I just, I just know that I'm supposed to do this. And I want to give my whole drum set to the church. Just sow it as a seed. Just, just as to, to, to show that I, I give everything to God, even my most prized possession, even the thing that, you know, is attached to my gifting and my calling. I just want to give it all to him. So it was just like an amazing, it was just an amazing moment. And, and, and I know you, it's not about the drum set to you. It's, it's the heart. And, uh, I've just watched 
that same spirit and that same heart and, and, and that really be the pillar of who you are, that it doesn't matter. Like I can call this guy anytime and be like, hey, man, I'm doing this conference. I really need you to come drum. He'd be there. Or, hey, man, we're doing Sunday. Oh, I'll be there. Oh, we're doing the next four Sundays. Oh, I've done the last 16 Sundays in a row. <laughs> like this guy, like he's here. He's here before everybody else. And he leaves after everybody else. This guy, like his whole heart is after God. And and even if the only way to 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 show that in your life is to serve. I mean, that's what you do. And that's what Mia does. And they follow God no matter what the cost. And I really watched you do that in the last year. And it's been inspiring to me. And it's, and it's been inspiring to the rest of the worship community. And it's, and it's become like contagious with, within all of us, you know, it's really awesome. So Dylan, do you have anything you'd like to add? Cool. You're racking me. Okay. Everybody stretch out your hand towards Rusty. Okay, and I want you just to say this. You are the son in whom he's well pleased. And I just feel like, Rusty, that um, the same way that Jesus was raised up out of the water to that affirmation from heaven, from his father, that even tonight that there is this, like, bellowing blessing from heaven saying that, Rusty, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. So say it again. Say, you are my son. In whom I'm well pleased. Come on. Amen. Yeah. It's really good. And so anyway, while we were sitting there talking, just really, really quick, how crazy is it that, um, you know, like this is Rusty's attitude now, like no matter what, I'm going to give anything. It doesn't matter if I'm I'm poor. It doesn't matter if I'm rich. I'm going to give my, you know, everything to God. It doesn't matter if I have this or don't have this. It doesn't matter if I'm tired or if I'm cranky or if I've messed up or if I'm like, you know, totally confused on which way to go. I'm going to give you worship. I'm going to give you everything I have. But do you realize that it's this great power towards us that is bearing fruit out of this man's heart? that no matter what, God was loving him, and no matter what, God was making a way for, for him when he would just get shook and awake at 1 a.m. in the morning going, hey, boy, let's go mudding, you know, <laughs> to like right now where like every single thing is like the beautiful mistake is your life. Like, hey, girl, come fan me. Oh, wait, now you're my wife. I'm an idiot saying something stupid to a girl. She comes over to say hi to me and tell me that I'm an idiot and ends up being my wife years later. It's like, it's all a beautiful mistake. It's crazy. Everything from the the drum gig that you got with Copeland, like, hey, man, can you come learn all, like, 25 of these songs and play on the road in front of thousands or hundreds of people in a bar or whatever it is? And just, like, it's just crazy that this is your story. And it's awesome that like we can what we can take from this or what I think like I'm taking away from this tonight is that no matter what God is working towards you and for you in your life that he actually has a plan for you okay like Rusty is here because God knew him it says in Psalms that all of your days have been written in my book that's what David says about the Lord like all of my days have been written in your book you know all my ways you have planned my entire life, so I give everything to you. And it's like this beautiful, beautiful submission that, like, you're walking in in, your, in the season of your life where you're just like, wow, God, you've been there for me no matter what. I give you everything no matter what. And so let's just pray, okay? And I want you to think about anything in your life, like, you know, for Rusty, it's been, like, something, like, with music that God has, you know, he came to him, like, through music on the beach retreat. 
hey, it doesn't get much easier to promo a beach retreat than that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, just bro gets saved on a beach retreat, comes back, has atheist friends be like, what? Check yourself. You know, or whatever it was in ATL. I don't know how it works down there. There's probably gold fronts and like, I don't know, everything's crazy. But yeah, down in Hotlanta. And um, I had that blank. But anyway, so like, he's just like here. No, okay, sorry. Beach retreat. Wow. <laughs> and music is like his everything or whatever. God speaks to him through music. Whatever it is in your life, if it's dancing, if it's art, if it's like even studying, if it's anything you ever felt like God was leading you into and showing you like this is something that is, is alive in you, you know, no matter what it is, God is moving towards you in that thing, okay? And he will use that thing to reach you, okay? So I just want you to close your eyes. We're just going to pray. Come on. So Lord, we just thank you that no matter what, in the midst of all kinds of beautiful mistakes, you have our days, our lives written in your book, that you know us. And it's our great privilege. It's a great honor to know you and be known by you. And I just thank you for each person sitting in this room, the same as like Rusty was totally pursued by you. And you came to him over and over and over again. And even in his mistakes, God, you made them beautiful. Even in his mistakes, God, you brought him into his destiny. So, Lord, I thank you for each person. God, I thank you for the way that you're going to totally plow through their mistakes and lead them into their destiny. And I thank you for each of their gifts, God, all the things that, that you're leading them into, all the things that you've blessed them with, all the skill sets. God, I just pray that you would use each thing to reveal yourself to them even more and just release hope. Release that hope. Release that hope of no matter what, God is for me. No matter what, God is leading me into destiny. No matter what, God has a plan for me and nobody can take it. And even if I screw it up, he's still going to make it work together for my good. Come on. And so if that's who you are, God, I want to give you everything. If that's who you are, that enables me to love you no matter what back. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.